1: Hey, listeners, Jessica here. Be sure to check out new episodes of Undetermined every Tuesday for free wherever you get your podcasts. For early and ad-free listening, check out Tenderfoot Plus on Apple Podcasts. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals interviewed and participating in the show and do not represent those of Tenderfoot TV and Resonate Recordings. All individuals described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matter, such as violence and graphic descriptions, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
2: It felt like there was no real investigation at all, regardless of any and all information that Audra and Mandy have shared with them it just went nowhere. I feel like most detectives in that situation would use a lot less to do more. Even reading the autopsy report it kind of paints its own picture. It really does. I'll put it this way. If it seemed like some sort of foul play to three amateurs, I can only imagine how it would look to someone who does this every single day.
1: My team and I have been actively investigating Jessica's case for over two years now. In all of my conversations with Jessica's family, something they've made abundantly clear is their lack of faith in the NOPD. Their biggest fear in all of this isn't that answers surrounding Jessica's death can't be found, it's that the NOPD won't put in the work to find them. They've had a strong feeling that this case has been headed nowhere for some time now. But despite the family's frustration with what they feel is a stalled NOPD investigation, we've still learned a lot thus far. We've heard the body cam footage of police talking with Justin the day Jessica went missing. We've shared loads of text messages and correspondence between Justin and those close to Jessica. We've gone over all the reports we've obtained from the NOPD, the coroner's office, and the family, discovering that a toxicology screening found meth in Jessica's system, and that an autopsy report indicated both pre- and post-mortem injuries to her body. Then, in February 2021, the coroner released the following statement regarding Jessica's death.
3: Advanced changes of decomposition can make determination of cause and manner of death difficult, as it did in this case. Due to this decomposition, toxicology testing was limited to liver tissue, which did test positive for methamphetamine and bupropion. However, it is unclear these results reflect recent intake, and a drug-related death cannot be ruled out.
1: The coroner, of course, listed Jessica's cause and manner of death as undetermined. Her husband Justin believes she died by suicide, and we have a good idea where her family and friends stand. Like I said, we've learned a lot up to this point, but there are still some key elements we don't know. Where does the case currently stand? Who's investigating it? And where does the investigation go from here? When re-examining a case like Jessica's, Requesting access to the case file is one of the first steps in the investigative process, and we've put in our fair share of requests, but the NOPD only granted us access to the initial missing persons report and the report filed when she was found. All other items in the case file were denied, citing that it was an open case. Quote, they relate to pending or reasonable anticipated criminal litigation. If we're going to obtain any more case-related information as to why Jessica's case has stalled, it won't be from the files. We'll have to start asking around in New Orleans. Back in May 2021, Todd and I decided to start at the best place we could think of, the New Orleans Coroner's Office, also known as the Orleans Parish Coroner, to see what information we could get from them. This is the same coroner's office who performed Jessica's autopsy. We're hoping to find out more answers about what they learned and gain a better understanding of where a case like Jessica goes once the coroner's process is complete. We park in the visitor lot of a large tan brick building positioned beside a busy road. As traffic steadily passes by, we make our way up to an entrance with double glass doors. The doors are locked, but there's an intercom call box to my right. I push the button. No answer. I try a few more times. Nothing. We call an after-hours number listed on the door, and a woman answers. Hi, is your office open?
3: Uh, uh what would be the reason for your visit?
2: Uh, we're here to inquire about, uh, uh, a past case. What's the name? Jessica Durning. D-U-R-N-I-N-G.
3: All right, hold
2: on just a moment. We're actually out front. We didn't know, like, if we could come in to speak with someone or not.
3: Uh, I would have to find out who's on duty and if they are present the on duty investigator um, just to be seen calls and no, they're not there. Well,
1: we're actually just trying to see if the coroner's office and the investigator is still looking at it or if it's been kind of closed with the coroner's office and moved on to the police department.
3: Yes, once the autopsy is, um, the report has been completed, the coroner's office is complete with their investigation. We only handle the remains, so it would be on to the
1: police at this time. Okay, perfect.
2: Is there a way to see if if it was um, turned over to the homicide unit or district detectives?
3: That would be a question for the police department. Is
1: there an investigator on duty that can just explain that process to us, just so that we have it recorded as as this this is how it happens and this is how it goes?
3: What actually happens is once the case is closed and if there is an officer that's handling that case who reported the death, they would most times check back with the coroner's office to see when that autopsy report is available for request. It will come in to collect it and then they themselves would move forward with either um, going further into investigating it or closing the case on their end. So those would be questions for the police department.
1: Okay, so at this point the coroner's Mm -hmm. duties with it are completely over correct yes ma'am all right
2: and if if a case is left like cause of death undetermined and then the police get new information they think would change that do they then come back to your office through an investigator or directly directly to an me to the right
3: to the me yep it would be um to the pathologist um or probably the chief pathologist but yes most times it is with the pathologist that performed that autopsy okay
1: all right thank you so much I really appreciate okay, it. You're welcome. Thanks.
3: You're okay. Bye-bye.
1: While we didn't get all of our questions answered, it's a start. We now know officially that the coroner's office is no longer investigating Jessica's case, at least until the police give them more information or evidence to work with. So, on that note, we headed over to the NOPD's District 3 to see what they could tell us about their investigation. Parking in the back of the large police campus, we walk over to the side visitor's door. While dodging the rain, we press the button for the intercom. Abby,
3: you. Okay. Okay, thank
1: you. We're standing under a metal awning that's shielding us from the persistent raindrops.
2: Hi, property mm-hmm. Great. Oh, okay. Great.
1: so what's the so after a brief wait, a towering man in uniform pushes through the double doors and greets us. This is our conversation with Lieutenant Ernest Luster, who heads up the NOPD's Third District Investigative Division or DIU. This audio is from body cam footage we received via public records request. Hello, ma'am. Hi. I'm
4: Lieutenant Austin Lawrence, Police. How are you doing?
1: Good, Good
2: how are you? Dr. Thomas.
4: All right. Good to you. How can we help you?
1: Okay. So my name is Jessica Knoll. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is a retired detective. I am an investigative journalist. We're working on a story about a case, Jessica Easterly Durning. Okay. Um, and we were told that it, you might the head of the unit that is looking at that okay what we're interested in is we're not familiar with new orleans investigations police department we want to kind of show how it goes from the scene of where her body was found to the corner to the police and where that goes as investigation Mm -hmm. yeah the process and procedure of that all right
4: so how that works is so Deaths are determined by the coroner's office. Right. So, for example, when a body is found, if if there's no determinate cause of how that person may have died, we have to get that disposition from the coroner's office. That makes the determination of where the case is assigned. So, if the case is, if the coroner classifies the case as a homicide, where they were killed by. Uh, whether it was blunt force trauma, whether it was a shooting, uh, whether they were uh, strangled, or whatever whatever disposition that the coroner gives to us, then that makes the determination as to where the case goes. So, if it's a homicide, then the case will be uh, assigned to the homicide division to do a follow-up investigation. If the case is unclassified, which is where this case is now then we have to wait for the coroner to tell us what led to this person's demise or death. If it was drug overdose, natural causes, health-related, and the case stays with us until we get that disposition from the coroner. Right now, her case is with us because the coroner hasn't given us any information to determine a cause of death. All at this point, all they told us is that she's had some form of narcotics in her system, but they haven't given classified the case as to how she died. So until he gives us that, the case is in, right now is left in limbo until we can until we can move forward okay, because we can't move without that forensic evidence. Right, because you right? can't assign
1: it to a homicide detective if it's not yet classified yeah. as a homicide. Correct. So it's because we never.
4: Yeah. Uh, detectives that are assigned to the district, like this third district, we we work all robberies. We work uh, shootings mm-hmm. where a person didn't die. Uh, we we investigate aggravated assaults, simple robberies, right. uh, thefts, car thefts, armed robberies, and so forth. Any type of homicide goes directly to the homicide mm-hmm. division, whether it be a drug overdose, if the person was was poisoned, whether they were shot, stabbed. However however, the demise happened by the hands of someone else, that goes to the Homicide Division and is sent to them. When it's given to us, we have to wait until we hear from the coroner's office. If they say, hey, look, we found out this is, this is how it occurred, then we can talk to homicide and then say, hey, look, we have the final disposition from the coroner, and this case is given to you all to do an investigation.
1: Just a quick pause here to remind you, that a homicide detective was on the scene when Jessica's body was found. But since then, her case moved off the homicide investigation division's workload because of the undetermined classification from the coroner.
2: The homicide usually respond to most of the death scenes because it's theirs until we decide it's not.
4: Uh, it's most a, it, it it depends on the scene itself. Okay, it depends on the scene.
2: All right, so it looks unnatural.
4: Yeah, if it, if it's something that appears to be foul play, then they're gonna show up. If it's something where let's say you had a and I'm just using this as an example. Sure. Let's say as an elderly person who was in a hospice environment and they had a number of medical issues and they were found. Uh, unresponsive in their bed they're not going to show up for that because most likely that may be health related however if it's something if you if the officer gets out on the scene and he say well hold up this doesn't look, look like there was signs of a struggle and this person appears to be in a, an unconventional position then homicide's going to come out and make that scene because there may be more to it
2: than what what was uh, occurred there so when your cause and manner of death is undetermined for the coroner's office and its it drops from homicide standards and announced at PIU, it, It's with district detectives. It's,
4: it's, it's considered unclassified. So an unclassified debt leaves us in limbo because we're not allowed to make any movements regarding the case because we don't have a, a, a determinate uh, cause of
2: debt. So no one here would be like trying to go out and find more information to fill in holes in what happened. Because
4: it's, it's a forensics case. whereas. Now, the detectives have interviewed. They have interviewed uh, Ms. Mr. Derner. He elected not to be interviewed anymore without an attorney. They've interviewed the family. They've given information to the family uh, regarding this case. However, we're in, we're in a limbo phase until the coroner says, hey, this is how she died. This, right. is, what, this is what necessary action needs to be taken.
1: Luster keeps using the word limbo to describe the status of this case. Typically, you'd hear a case is either open or closed. But to Luster, it sounds like Jessica's case is falling somewhere in the middle. Regardless, he's made it clear that they're waiting on the coroner to give a more definitive cause and manner of death. But if you remember, the coroner's office told us basically the same thing, that they're waiting on the NOPD for more information. So which is it? So I will say we spoke to the coroner's office I mean, to be blunt, they put it on the police department. They said our investigation is done with this. They need to come to us with more evidence to change the cause or manner.
4: Yeah, but we so, we we have nothing yeah. further to go with. Right? Yeah, you know, yeah. You, know, you, you see what I'm saying? So we're kind of stuck too because we don't have any more information that we can provide unless the family can say, "Hey, this is what this is what else we have." Yeah. And we we take that information and then we bring it to the coroner and say, hey, look, is this is what they found, what can you tell us?
1: So if you had the right tip or lead to come in... If we
4: had, yeah, exactly. And that's what all cases. You're that's not, not going to ignore that. We, never. It, right? We would always pursue it. Anytime we receive crime stoppers tips, anytime we see uh, phone calls that'll give us a solid lead, because we want to solve the case. We want, the, the Norse police wants to solve the case. We want to give the family justice if there's some, some, some foul play here. We want to see... These pe- we want to see people who are victims of crime uh, you know, bring closure to whatever case that they're victims of. Or if the families have some questions, we want those questions answered. So we would never ignore that kind of stuff. Do you
2: find with overdoses, for instance, or when, when drug levels are found in the body and you do have a period of time before the body's found, several days, a week or so, that it's hard to determine at the coroner's office or a medical examiner if it was an overdose or not because the levels reduce?
4: I, honestly, I couldn't answer that. That's because a toxicology that's, that's, question. Yeah, <laughs> that's something that, that they would have to give me uh, forensically because we, you know, our, our job as an investigator is to let them tell us, listen, right. do you believe that this person was... Uh, we've had cases where people were uh, given drugs and od and we've charged the person who gave out the drugs uh, based on the, the level of evidence we had and in the interviews based on the statements that were made the person say yeah we were out partying and I handed her this right and she took it and she died they yeah. got charged for negligence alright in this case we don't have that uh, we, we, we we had a body reported found. We, we hope that the coroner would give us something to bring clarity to that case so that way we can Effectively investigated without any uh, obstacles in
1: our way. As we continue speaking with Lester, he doubles back to the idea of a potential drug overdose. He says, for example, if we knew how Jessica got the drugs, or if she willingly took them, maybe we'd have a different story here. But we don't know. All we know in Jessica's case is that she had drugs in her system, and Lester says, that doesn't help as far as an investigation goes.
4: Until they give us clarity and say, "Hey, this person was killed, or this person died as a result of an overdose," we're we're pretty much left in limbo. Right and
1: would you consider it a cold case? I mean,
4: right now, until we can get more evidence uh, to prove otherwise, I would classify it as that now, uh, because we we cannot we can't of course create evidence. We have to get something solid that we can corroborate to give us, uh, you know, problem cause to
2: move forward. Do you status cases? Are you, is that part of your job?
4: No, well, my part, my my job is I, I supervise the supervisors okay. who
2: give classification to those cases. So,
4: so this case is not considered. Code is it still open it's
2: to open. us. Is there a period of time if no new leads or information come in where a case like this would be reclassified from open to... Closed, or suspended. It, it would
4: never be closed. So it could be open forever? Um, um, in our country, a murder is open until we solve it, even if it happens if we find out something 200 years from now. If we get evidence and we've had cold cases, in fact, there was a cold case uh, that, that just recently got opened in another parish where they found out a guy from DNA evidence from 1998 had stabbed the lady, and they arrested him because they had the DNA evidence to prove why. But it was a 20-year-old case. But he was charged with murder. So as, as far as I'm concerned, and as far as our department is concerned, those cases stay open until we can solve them.
1: So you want tips to come in yes. from we, we, anywhere.
4: Public we want information. Yes. Oh, yes, indeed. That's how it, Most of our uh, crimes, uh, and no matter what they are, the community is a big part of it. The family is a big part. Of it. The acquaintances, the, the, the friends. Whatever information they can provide for us, we take that information so that we can use it and try to develop lead. It
1: takes a village?
4: Yes, it really does. And, and, and trust me, New Orleans Police is passionate about bringing families justice and bringing cases, uh, giving families closure in all cases.
1: We had hoped to find out who was investigating Jessica's case, but the disturbing answer we found was No one is. If what the lieutenant is telling us is in fact NOPD procedure, then the NOPD is waiting on the coroner to classify it as a homicide in order to investigate it as such. But at the same time, the coroner is waiting on the NOPD to give them more evidence to change the manner of death, leaving it, just as he states, in limbo. In the law enforcement and medical world, there's an acronym that perfectly describes Jessica's case, CUPY, which stands for Circumstances Undetermined Pending Police Investigation. So what happens when two investigative agencies in charge of the case both claim they are waiting on the other to move forward? Well, as Todd and I have learned, nothing happens, which is why Jessica's case has been in a perpetual stalemate. Jessica's case isn't officially classified as cold yet, but without tips and leads, it is growing colder by the minute. To the NOPD, it's considered unclassified. To the coroner, it's considered undetermined. But some see it as an opportunity for a second look. Dr. Kimberly Masnick, who you may remember from our analysis of Jessica's autopsy, is the director and founder of a Cold Case Investigations Institute in Florida. She tells me they work hand-in-hand with the detectives on each of those cases, and she was able to give us some perspective on what would need to happen in order for this case to move forward.
5: Undetermined. It's kind of, I want to call it a placeholder. I like that it's there because it, it gives us the opportunity to pull Jessica off the shelf And look at this case again, because in 40 years, who knows what's going to change in science. If that said anything other than that, that case would be closed. And then I wouldn't have the opportunity to be able to pull it off the shelf 10, 20, 30 years from now. So having watched many interviews with her sister, that sister's not going away. As long as it says undetermined. We can keep it on the shelf and we can work it. We can pull it off and dust it off and call it not cold at any point in time.
1: Basically, if there's one good thing about an undetermined classification, it's that it does leave the door open for the case to be worked and possibly even solved. But how do you make a change in classification happen? Dr. Masnick says, for starters, the NOPD should be working in tandem with the coroner.
5: If you don't ask the coroner to specifically test for something, that test does not get done because that coroner or that medical examiner is relying on you, the officer, to give them as much information as possible so that they know how to do their job to the best of their ability. This case stands out to me as one that definitely needs to be re-examined for whatever reason, it wasn't followed through the first time by multiple agencies that should or could have done things. So it's not just a law enforcement thing. It's not just a medical examiner thing. It's, it's a bunch of people things. So that jumps out at me as this case definitely needs to be looked at because it's potentially a very solvable case given the right
1: circumstance. Dr. Masnick has a good point. There is potential for Jessica's case to be solved, but at the end of the day, based on what we've heard so far from the coroner and law enforcement, more information is needed. For now, this case is a copy. No arrests have been made. No persons of interest or suspects have been named publicly. And although Jessica's body has been laid to rest, There's no closure, if there's even such a thing as closure for families like Jessica, and no justice. That does not sit well with Audrey or the rest of Jessica's loved ones. Again, they've recognized the stagnancy of this investigation for a while. So the fact that Jessica's case is in limbo is no surprise to them. Audrey says... She's felt like this has been the norm ever since the coroner was working with the family to try and identify Jessica's body, which is why she's felt that she's needed to take things into her own hands. Like Dr. Masnick said, she's not going away, and as it turns out, she isn't going quietly either. After returning briefly to the Lakeview neighborhood to plaster signs to every pole she could find, and ask anyone who knows anything to call Crime Stoppers and the NOPD, Audrey took to the loudest public platform she could find. She started sharing everything she could about her sister's case on social media. And people have taken notice. Like the lieutenant said, it's going to take a village to solve Jessica's case. And her family was about to get some new information from a couple in that village stumbled upon something in the same spot where Jessica was discovered seven months earlier.
3: We were walking the dog. We're heading towards City Park and we were going between the railroad and that security building. I spot that ID on the ground. I picked it up and I walk over to her and I show it to her and she says, oh, that's a woman who was killed.
1: Undetermined is a production of Resonate Recordings and Tenderfoot TV in conjunction with Cadence 13, written and hosted by me, Jessica Knoll, and produced by Dennis Cooper and Todd McComas, with additional production by Whitney Bozarth. Executive producers are Dennis Cooper, Mark Minnery, Jacob Bozarth, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsay. Our senior producer is John Street. Editing, mixing, mastering, and sound design by Caleb Melcher, Dayton Cole, and Pat Kicklider of the Resonate Recordings team. If you have a podcast or are looking to start one, check us out at resonaterecordings.com. Our theme song and original score is by Dirt Poor Robbins with additional scoring by Dayton Cole. Our cover art is by Station 16. You can follow Undetermined Podcast on Facebook and on Twitter at UndeterminedPod. Show notes as well as bonus content can be found on our website, UndeterminedPod.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. And finally, if you have any information about this case, call Crimestoppers at one 877 903 7867.